If you are someone who is visiting here for the first time today, uh, I want you to know I've been praying for you today. Um, or if you don't come here very often and uh, kind of trying to figure out um, if this place fits and if so, why, uh, and you showed up today, I want you to know I've been praying for you today. Uh, sometimes as a pastor, uh, I can forget all of the different decisions that go into choosing to visit a church, right? Because uh, it's a lot. I mean, you first off got to decide, do you actually want to do that? And if so, where do you want to go? And what's that church about? Maybe you've heard about it through uh, driving by here. Maybe you've uh, heard about it because some of your neighbors go here. Maybe you uh, heard about it through a small group that some people are in, and it's been a good thing in their life or a service uh, project that we've done, and, and you decided to kind of learn more about that. But uh, that's a huge decision, and it's a huge decision to decide, you know, okay, this is what we're going to do, and, uh, you know, we're going to check this place out, and we're going to uh, agree on that, and, and uh, as a family, we're going to agree on that, and then we got to look up uh, where it is and where it's located and what denomination it is and what does that mean to us, and uh, do you believe in predestination? I don't know if I believe in predestination, and that's what Presbyterians are about, right? So, like, does that fit and, and all this other stuff? And then we got to decide, uh, we go on the website, like, which of the four services we're going to, like, seriously, four different services uh, through the morning, and then there's different styles, and we got to decide which one we're going to go to there, and, and it's contemporary, and, and is it really contemporary, like what I knew, or is it not really contemporary, or how do I think of contemporary versus traditional, and then there's two different services happening at 11. When I get here, I got to figure out which of the ones I'm supposed to go to in, in these two different spots, and I got to figure out parking, and when I look at the website, there's this information on shuttle buses that are running because there's not enough parking. Uh, uh, for what we need, and so I got to figure out, am I supposed to take a shuttle, or do I get there at a certain time, and if so, where do the shuttles go from, and are they going to be there afterwards, what we're going to do, and then we're going to go to lunch, but do we make a reservation, because I don't know how long the service lasts, Presbyterians seem to be pretty tight on an hour, is what I think, but I don't know, like maybe these people are a little bit different, and, and that's going to throw our plans off for the rest of today, and so we got to go through that, and then we got to figure out when there's child care is, and, and people tell us that the, the contemporary 1105 service meets on the second floor of the Fellowship and Education Building, and if I can figure out which building that is, and I walk in, I feel like I'm on the ground floor, but it says it's the second floor, and all this other kind of stuff that's going on, and then I get here, and I drop my children off, and maybe there's separation anxiety when I put them in the nursery, and they're crying, and I'm trying to act like we're calm and normal, and everything's good, and then I finally get in here and come walking in, and it's Pledge Sunday. <laughs> and you can be sitting there going like, seriously? Seriously? This is what we've like done all of this work and all of this planning and all of this debating and shown up and they're going to ask us for our money. And if you don't know what Pledge Sunday is, it's because the little cards on your seats, just in case you misplaced or forgot yours or hope we would forget about it, uh, they're there so that you can make a financial pledge for our 2020 budget that we will be building. That's what the cards are for. And in just a little while, we're going to invite all of you to come forward in a spirit of prayer and to be able to make a commitment. And so if you're new to a church, that is probably setting off all of your alarm bells of what churches are about at this point, because really they just want me for my money. And that's all we want you for. So that's it. No, no, no. I've been praying for you. Because it's, it's different. It's weird. And also, I've been praying for people who have maybe been members of this church for decades. 
who was just like, I just, I hate this day. This is not our biggest attended Sunday. We know that every year going into it. It's the one that people are like, we just got to get through it so that when we get through it, we can return to our regularly scheduled programming of spiritual matters. And this is just what we've got to do. No matter who you are or where you fall in that spectrum, I want you to know that today is not about finances. Today is about a spiritual invitation to you that does have financial implications, but it's not primarily financial. And whether you actually make a pledge or not, I want you to consider the fact that no matter who you are or how you walk in here, God has you here for a reason, to encounter you. And I pray that we can all be open with open minds and hearts to whatever it is the Lord wants to say to us today that might break some of our preconceived notions about church and money and what it's asking for, okay? Let's start with a prayer, uh, and, uh, and then we'll read the scripture passage before us today, but let's pray together. Lord, I pray that no matter who we are or how we walk in here, we would hear your gospel, your good news, and it would free us to live a life that you desire. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, friends, so we are in the sixth week of our Gifts of Grace teaching series, uh, and each week we are taking uh, uh, one of the nine fruit of the Spirit that Paul writes about in Galatians uh, chapter 5, and talking about it in worship, and then talking about how do we cultivate that fruit in our lives the following week, okay? So we're going to bring the scripture passage up here on the screens and uh, read again what Paul writes in Galatians 5. He says this, he says, by contrast... The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We're going to just leave this passage up here for, uh, so that we can keep looking at it uh, as we reflect. But, but what we've said from the beginning in this series is that when Paul writes about these words, he's not meaning them like uh, a, a bunch of religious hurdles that we have to make, right? He's not sitting there going, you better be loving, you better be kind, you better be generous today, um, you better be, um, have self-control, you better have all these things because these are the rules of what you're supposed to do. Rather, what he is writing here is saying, this is what we want to see in life. No matter who you are, no matter how you walk in here today, we can agree on the fact that if we have love in our lives, if we have joy in our lives, if we have uh, kindness in our lives, this is a full life. That's a great life to live. If our children and our grandchildren have these things, if they embody these things, they are going to be living a full and wonderful existence. We should want to see these things in ourselves, in our church, in our city, and in our world. Paul's saying, this is the invitation. And as we grow closer to God, and as uh, the, the, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is involved in our lives, as we go deeper in our relationship with the Spirit, it's not that the rule is to be more loving, but we will have and experience more love in God. We will become more loving, and those around us will get kind of swept up in the wake of that. As we have more joy in our lives that God gives us, we are going to benefit from that, but those around us are going to benefit from that, is what he's saying. This is fruit that should be flowing forth from us out into the world. These are great things. 
Now, if you're looking through this list, there, there's some kind of wonderful things in here, but the cynics in us might sit there and go, yep, but Paul's like, maybe, maybe like a pastor, he sure did work in how the finances, like, he kind of slips it in there, right, between kindness and faithfulness, these great words kind of just slip it right in, but it does kind of help things move forward as people are generous. But what I want to suggest to us today is that money and our finances is one of the great catalysts for spiritual growth. One of the greatest practical catalysts for spiritual growth that you will ever find in your life. And Paul knows that, and so does the Bible, and that this is an invitation, okay? Now, generosity doesn't just mean money. When we volunteer our time, when we give of our talents, when we try to impact the world around us through our, who we are and, and, and our makeup, uh, that is all acts of generosity. But for the sake of this morning, we're going to focus on the idea that finances are a part of that, how we handle our stuff, all of us. And the way that we understand why this is such a great thing and why it is that it is a catalyst for spiritual growth is that we have to understand that we have to both do two things. We all have to this morning look backwards and we have to look forwards. It's a pattern that we get into when we talk about generosity. But all of us this morning need to look backwards and we need to look forwards. Now, what do we mean by that? Because this is what I'd like you to be thinking about this morning. First off, we have to look backwards. The first place we start is in, the, is in this list. Generosity is the sixth fruit of the Spirit. But if we look back, we see that this list is not random. Paul starts with love. It's the first fruit of the Spirit there. He said, if you know nothing else about God, God is love. So let's start with that. But the fifth fruit that we look back on, the one from last week, is where I want us to also not forget. This is why Jill led us in a time uh, of giving thanks this day. Because that was the invitation last Sunday if you were here. Last Sunday we talked about kindness. And so let's look back on the week that we've had. Let's look back on that fifth fruit of the Spirit before we get to generosity. What we asked you to do was to ask the question, how has God been kind to you? To think back on your life, to think about your story, to think about what it is that has brought you to this place today with whatever it is that you have in life, whatever gifts you're grateful for, friendship, family, uh, the neighborhood you live in, the schools that you go to, like whatever it is that you would sit there and be, what, how am I grateful? We've asked you to think about how has God been kind to you in that? And the definition of kindness that we talked about last week is that kindness is God in his mercy providing for us. We asked you to spend some time this week just thinking about how has God in his mercy provided for you? How has God in his mercy provided for us? And what we said is, if you really start paying attention to it, anything that you have that you're grateful for, God has provided almost all of it. Sometimes we make the mistake of thinking we earned everything we have. But we said, just look with open eyes and understand how few of the factors that determine what you have today, you were in control of. This week I had some, I had some just wonderful reflections from people in this church as they look backwards as I'm inviting you to do, look back on their story. Where are the fingerprints of God? I had some people who talked to us about how they, they kind of realized some things we said in worship last week. They said, you know, I look back and school was just a place I had to study hard in order to get into the college or get the job that I wanted to do. But they said, you know, it's right. I was born into a family that education was something that was promoted. I was born into a family where my parents read to me, where they were cultivated ideas, where they wanted to hear what was going on in my life. I had great teachers in school that kind of sent me in different directions and encouraged me in all different kinds of ways. And they said, I didn't earn that. I didn't 
didn't deserve to go to a school like that over somebody else. But all of a sudden, I start seeing this. And, and yes, I worked hard with what I had, but I was set into a position I couldn't control. God's fingerprints are all over it. Things I didn't earn or deserve. I had a woman in our congregation that uh, has started a, a, a business, and it's, 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 she's enjoying it, and it's going well. She said, you know, when I think about my business, I've always thought about how hard it is to start a company. Any of you who have started a company, you know this is true. It is a frightening, difficult, pain. All of you are like, I'm never starting a company now. That's my takeaway from a sermon, right? I'm never going to do that. It is a really difficult thing. Uh, we started a church before coming here. It's scary, and, and, and it requires a lot of work. But what she said is, is that when I started thinking about where are God's fingerprints on my company starting? She said, well, where actually the place that it started is the business partner that I started this company with. We were roommates my freshman year at UT. That's where we got to know each other. And she said, we weren't even supposed to be roommates, but we, had, we were both assigned different roommates, but sometime between getting assigned our roommates and moving in and school starting, both of our roommates dropped out of school, which we tried not to take personally. That that happens, like you fall in your roommate, you get to know them, and then they drop out of school. But she said, and so all of a sudden, the, the housing uh, group, they reshuffled a lot of the, the freshmen where they were living. We weren't even assigned to live to each other. We were thrown together at the last minute, which is where our relationship started, which is where this business started, and that's how we've gone forward. Have we worked hard? Yes, she has, and sacrificed for it. But was she in control of all of the factors that God had done to set her in the position for that? No. And she's seeing the fingerprints of God all over her story. When you look back, how has God, in his mercy, been kind to you? Or as I had one individual share with me this week, is his eyes filled up with tears. I do not deserve to be married to the person I'm married to. Not only did I not deserve to be married to them, I didn't even know to ask God for someone with the gifts she has. I didn't know there were people with those kind of gifts out there and how much it could impact my life. And the fact that God brought us together, I didn't earn that, and I daily know how good God has been to me to provide this in my life. If you look back on your story and think about it, there is so much that we have so little control over that God has been working at. How has God, in his mercy, provided for you? We all, before we get to looking forward, we must look back on our stories. But secondly, when we get to generosity, we look back on how God has been kind to us, but we also then must all look forward. And I want to invite us to not just look back, but today as we prepare ourselves to practice generosity, to also look ahead. Because one of the, 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 the reasons that, that, that giving and generosity is a, maybe one of the most, it is one of the most practical tools to be a catalyst for our spiritual life. The common way of understanding generosity, which is true, is that when we give, we help people, which is a good thing. Right? And, and, and I don't want to downplay that. That is a really great thing to be the hands and feet of Jesus. As God has provided for us, I can be a part of providing, and this church can be a part of providing in this world. And that is important, and that's a value we hold deeply. But the reason that this can be a catalyst for your spiritual life, more than just about anything else, is because when we look back 
at all that we have been given and we really see God's fingerprints all over. When we see everything that God has done to bring us to where we are today, it frees us from the notion that what we have is ours. It frees us from the notion that we have to cling with tight this to everything we have so that we're ready for any situation that might arise. Because no matter how much we have, there is never enough to be prepared for any situation. And when we forget how much God has done, and it's our money and our stuff that we sacrifice for, that we earned, that we hold on to tightly, and then there's all these groups that keep asking for us, asking money from us, and we have to kind of figure out how, what do we have to do? What do we have to do in this? It, it, it creates this kind of like closed in, this, this, this kind of almost enslaved mindset of fear. When we look back, however, and say, it's God who's been at work. God, God is amazing. God has done all this stuff and, and set me up in so many different ways to allow me to have the things I do, to, to, to do the things that I do, that, that God has been at work. What happens when we come forward and live out in generosity is that it allows us to put into practice the idea that I am going to trust that the God who did this before is going to do it again. It's a way of declaring in generosity, of saying, I am going to put into motion the idea that I think God is real, that I think God is alive, that I think God cares, that I think God loves me, and so I'm going to put this into motion and trust that the one who I have evidence for that has shown up before is going to do it again. We've talked about in this church before the idea that there's that wonderful story in the Gospels where we read about Jesus walking on the water and the disciples swinging their, Peter swinging his legs over the side of the boat and standing up and walking on the water with Jesus and while the other 11 lie huddled in the boat trembling in fear at the storm that rages around them. And we've said, we want to be like Peter. We don't want to be those disciples sitting in the boat. But people are like, well, how do I do that in my life? This is how you do it. This is how you put it into motion. Like right here is the way that you decide to swing your legs over to the boat, side of the boat and stand up. This is one concrete way. And people are like, yeah, I'd just rather read about it. It's like, no, we can do it. We can do it right now. This is one of the most practical catalysts for putting into motion that God is real and that I trust him. Because when we give, we may feel need. We might feel worry. I do feel worry and need as we do this. And yet what I'm trusting is not in my ability to just do and earn more. I'm trusting that the God who showed up before is going to show up again. Paul, who wrote these words, he didn't come up with this idea himself. Paul was a Pharisee. He was schooled in the Jewish faith and in the Jewish customs and in their annual calendar and their celebrations. And one of the things, like in our calendars, our calendars are often marked by celebrations, Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year, right? We kind of mark time by these events. In the Jewish tradition. There were similar festivals, Rosh Hashanah, Hanukkah, Yom Kippur, these celebrations that marked the year for people. But one of the festivals that we don't talk much about, but was one of the most joyful festivals, was known as the Festival of Weeks. 
The Festival of Weeks is the closest thing we have in the Old Testament to kind of what we're doing here today. And that's a bit of a stretch. But it's where the concept of tithing comes. It's where the concept that the people would have a harvest festival and they would have to bring what they had and what had come from the ground, their first fruits, which the Bible talks about, and bring them to God, 10% a tithe. And as they would do it, it was then marked as one of the big festivals of the year. It was known as one of the most celebratory, one of the most joyous. And so as a, as a seminary student, I started reading about this. I'm like, man, what was the pastor doing at that time? Because most people here, it's like, oh, we have to do this again. And they were like, this is like one of the big blowout celebrations of the year. And when you start reading about it in Deuteronomy, which I know most of you were doing this morning before you got here, scouring Deuteronomy, but when you read about the festival of weeks, the reason it was a celebration is because the people had to do what we're talking about here. Just what Paul's talking about is they started by saying, let's look back. Let's not just say you have to give, but let's look back. And the people who had produced this this crop, this harvest, they had to sit there and and bring the, the, the tithe, the first fruits to the temple. And then they had to go through this long liturgy that some of us have talked about before. They had to go through this long liturgy of saying, we didn't produce this ourselves. This is from our gardens. This is from our fields. This is the harvest. But how are we have this land? Well, if we remember back, we were, our people were slaves in Egypt. For hundreds of years, they were slaves in Egypt, toiling under one of the great injustices that we know has existed, and that God freed us. God heard our prayers and sent us Moses. He sent us somebody that brought us out of slavery, and we came through the Red Sea and walked through, and, and, and Pharaoh's army was swallowed up behind us, and we then were freed from the, the taskmasters that were there. We then wandered for 40 years in the wilderness, and while we were wandering, wondering where we were going, God didn't let us starve. He gave us bread by day, and he gave us water that came to us in the desert. And for 40 years, there was a a, a cloud that we would follow by day and a pillar of fire by night. And, And after following that for 40 years and eating what God had given to us and trusting in God's provision, we came to the Jordan River, and we crossed through the Jordan River, and we went into the the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. It's this land that this fruit comes from. And then they would give it and have this blowout celebration because the, the story they had to tell reminded them to look back and go, God's fingerprints are all over our lives. And therefore, we can look into the future with hope and expectation of what God's going to do again. This is not a financial decision. It's a spiritual decision with financial implications. And if we take that seriously, each and every one of us that's here today, to come forward and to participate, we, like we read about in the Festival of Weeks, will not leave here going, thank goodness this Sunday's done. We will leave here saying how good has God been to us as we look back. And imagine, as we look forward, what he's going to do next. Amen? Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we do pray that you would lead us and guide us, guide our steps, guide us as we move forward, listening and looking back on how kind you have been and seeking to follow you with experiencing the joy of generosity. May it deepen our faith. May it help us to know how to swing our legs over the side of the boat and stand up. And may we do so not with fear and trembling, but may we do so with an excitement 
because we know we move forward with you. You will never leave our side. You will never abandon us or forsaken us. May we trust in that. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.